All right, this is Case Johnston. This is the Literally Podcast. Today we're talking to Lee Camacho Rourke. She's uh, you're not in Louisiana anymore. You're in Florida. I'm in Florida right now. Yeah. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about her book Moon Trees and Other Orphans, a collection of short stories from. Okay, here my brain just farted. Black Lawrence Press. from Black from Black Lawrence Press. So today we're going to talk about uh, Moon Trees and Other Orphans uh, from Black Lawrence Press. And I have an advanced copy of it, and it's uh, Lee has not yet held it in her hands, and it's it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful book. Um, one more time. Here you go. So pretty. It is really pretty. So let's start today, like with should we start? Let's start with a reading. We're let's do what we usually do with Lee. I, I'm naturally my natural inclination is just to get start talking with you and just right, like, right. just to get start to just kind of jump in. But let's right. do what we normally do and um, okay. let's start with a reading. And Brandon will shut me off so that I'm not <laughs> making noise. You can't hear me slurp beer. So all right, okay. So this is a short piece from a short story that I've never actually read publicly. Uh, I thought it might be fun to read something different. Um, just warning to readers, it uh, you might find it a little gross. Could happen. And this is the first couple of pages from El Feo. Z Toledo shifted in his waders, causing dark ripples to circle his legs like bullseyes. The body cut under the lip of his trap was a problem. He couldn't ignore it. It was a goddamn body. Looked like a man about his age, if the just-starting-to-gray mop of hair was any indication. It, uh, he, was upside down. So Z had a little more to go, had little more to go on than the cloud of hair and a pair of brown trousers that looked a lot like his own. And the damn thing, the person, the body, was tangled in his property. For Z, the problem was a practical one. He couldn't release and kill the large squealing nutria inside the cage without first releasing the dead man. But Z was trespassing, technically. And the trap was outside the nutria control program harvest area by a smidge. And every nutria Z was carrying was worth a fiver in bounty and maybe more in fur and meat if he was not carrying it here, just north of the boundary next to this floater. 50 bucks in tails already, and he just started clearing the day's traps. There were 10 left in this stretch of the swamp, and Z was bound and determined to get each and every bounty. His daughter's ninth was Saturday, and there was a fancy dollhouse out there with Issa's name on it. Z was not squeamish about touching the dead man. He spent his life covered in the gore of animals that others found too distasteful to hunt, eat, or keep. What he was concerned about was what touching a dead man might mean for him in the long run. So Z stood there, just looking between the trap and the body for a good five or ten minutes, back and forth. A goddamn eternity for a man always in motion. It wasn't an easy decision. Z'd spent the first three years of his adulthood in Angola prison. He was sent there at 17 and got out just before he turned 21. A short timer in Angola where nearly everybody died in the jumpsuit, but a convict forever out here. He'd spent a lot of time since then promising himself, his wife, his kid, and his parole officer that he wasn't going back. And Zed kept that promise, and he meant to continue to keep it. The body was face down and fat with bloat. He nudged it, and as if in protest, a hand the color of crab meat rose in the water. White man, then. Wedding ring a nub thumb and forefinger that told Z he was a worker, blue-collar corpse. It, 
he, Z was having pronoun troubles. His wife, Elena, told him that what you called things and people and animals mattered, that the words you used all mattered. Z tried to make himself think of this thing, this bag of dead, as a person. So, he. He smelled just like any other dead animal in the sun. Shitty, but not much different than the rest of the swamp. Inside the wire trap was a fat, two-foot-long nutria. Her front claws slipped between the mesh bottom so that they were deep in the shirt of the dead man under her, her back feet slipping for purchase on the branch dam Zed set the cage against. He thought nutria looked more like beavers than rats, if you ignored the scaly snake of a tail, that is, and the foul orange teeth. She was squealing and standing slumped, so her right back leg, looking limp and crumpled, was likely broken. Now that he was his own boss, not working under anyone else, and could decide how he spent his profits, he only used the humane traps. Still, the animals ended up in pain more often than he liked. It was something he lied to Issa about. He promised her they never suffered. He thought of it as a Santa Claus lie, a small, good lie, and worked hard to make it as close to the truth as he could. So even if he didn't need the bounty, he needed into that trap. He owed her a clean death. But the makeshift latch Z used for the cage door was tangled up in the thick blue twine someone had wrapped around and around and around the corpse's neck, dark purple bruises peeking out from the twisted, crude noose. And the loose wires that Z never bothered to clip from the trap's bottom gripped the man's shirt, who was twisted so far around by the nutrient scrambling that some of the front buttons were visible. The tight metal mesh of the trap was too small for him to deliver a blow through. His knife would not fit either, and Z didn't own a gun, never touched one, wasn't worth the risk. He checked for snakes before kneeling in the water to work at the body, trying not to worry about what he might leave on the dead man, what the cops might find there. What he didn't bother to worry about was knowing him, this man who is now a body. So when Z finally did work the latch to the trap free, he didn't even pause to flip the man over and look at his face. He just finished the nutria, a quick, careful blow, cut her tail, and bagged her. He was nearly back in the john boat when he realized he'd have to take the trap. Couldn't leave it with the dead man. He'd have to gather all his other traps in the area, too, just in case. That was when he turned the man over, trying to work the rest of the trap free from the twisted shirt. That was when he saw the face, bloated and greening at the edges. His P.O. Confronting authors with real questions about the writing process, the difficult and disheartening publishing industry, and why anyone would choose to torture themselves in the world of writing, this is the Literally Podcast, with your host, writer, runner, and the literary voice of Ogden, Utah, Case Johnston. Exposing literature, the author's the business, the process, the Literally Podcast. All right, thank you for listening to this podcast. This episode of Literally is sponsored by Lexicon and Line. Case? 
Tell us a little something about Lexicon Online. Uh, Lexicon Online it does three things. They, they are communications consultants. They teach professional business writing and speaking courses, and they are research and data evaluation experts. And you can find everything about Lexicon Online at lexicononline.com. Please give them a visit, and thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast, Lexicon Online. This is Case Johnson. This is the Literally Podcast. Today we're, we're uh, doing our first recording from the Monarch in downtown Ogden, Utah. Um, we are talking with author Lee Camacho Rourke's. Uh, Lee Camacho Rourke's is a Cuban-American author and Louisiana native who now lives in Florida where she's an assistant professor of English and humanities at Beacon College. Her story collection Moon, Trees, and Other Orphans, which she just read from, won the St. Lawrence Book Prize and is out on October 31st. Other honors include the the Glenna Luce Prairie Schooner Award and Robert Watson Literary Award Prize. Her fiction poem and essays have appeared in the Kenyan Review, Prairie Schooner, Rhino, Triquarterly, December Magazine, and the Greensboro Review. Um, so Lee just read from her most recent collection, um, or her her first her her first collection of short stories in print, um, Moon Trees and Other Orphans. And uh, Lee's joining us now from from Florida. And there's a few questions I want to ask. And if we never, I'll start with one. But if we never get to the other three, that's okay. First off, can you tell us like short story? First off, I'm not a short story writer. I've never written short. I've written right. one short story in my life uh, because they all turn into novels, um, right. and they're and they're all on my desktop. Um, right. But when it comes to a short story collection especially like this one that has, has won a, a very big award. And if you're within the writing community, you'll recognize what the award means. Um, what was its path? I mean, because there's obviously within this short story collection, there's a uh, clown, which is one of my favorite short stories. And uh, I read clown. I got, it's probably been five, six years ago, at least, yeah. at least. And it's, yeah. a, and uh, it's worth the collection, which, um, with me personally, I know that the stuff that I've written five or six years ago probably wouldn't be in a collection. It was bad, but clown is still so vibrant and beautiful. Where does, how does a collection like this come about and what was this one's specific journey? Um, so honestly, it didn't obvious, it didn't start as a collection. It's not like I was like, Oh, and I'm going to make a collection of short stories. Uh, I was a poet. <laughs> Uh, who occasionally dabbled in short stories, but I was a really narrative poet. Um, mm -hmm. I've always been a storyteller. Uh, so the dabbling got bigger and bigger. Um, I switched in my, in, in our MFA program from poetry to fiction. Um, and you know, I, a lot of these stories were learning exercises in many ways for me. Um, you know, I wrote a lot of them. Some actually started before my MFA. One of them may be nearly 20 years old hmm. uh, that has been revised. It didn't work. Like, you know, I was, I was too young when I wrote it and it didn't work and it didn't work and it didn't work. Um, so a lot of those have been in a really long path. Not every short story, of course, that I wrote during that path ended up in the collection. Right. Um, but these are the stories that like, maybe the ones I'm most proud of. And maybe I think that there's, um, there's like this um, emotional chain between them mm -hmm. um, that I think kind of holds them together. But a lot of it was just, you know, you write and you write and you write and then you look down and you're like, well, is this long enough for a book? Do I have a book? And then you're like, no. 
and you write and you write and you write. And then you're like, wait, is this a book? And you're like, what is even a book? Yeah. Get a soon book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think, I think one of the paths to a collection of short stories is starting to understand what questions you're asking repeatedly in stories. And then you start to really see a reverberation of that question in certain stories. And then you start to feel a link in them. And I think, I think for me, that's where it really happened. Yeah. Did you, when you, when you put this together to submit to this specific contest, what mm-hmm. was that process like? Cause you obviously you said a lot of stories that you've written aren't in here. Was that link between each one of them something that you planned or was it something that maybe you read later when you put the collection together and said, oh, shit, that's 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 a great link. I submitted this collection a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it I, I I really like to think about failure. It it did not it went to a lot of, of um, contests over the years and um, and got to be a finalist in a few. Um, and during that time I played with it and I moved things around. I took things out. I put them back in. There was a point where I was no longer editing the stories themselves because in my heart of hearts, they were what I wanted them to be. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend that they were perfect or that they are perfect. Uh, but whether someone else liked them or not, they were they were my voice. They were where they needed to be for me. Right. Um, so at some point I stopped tooling around with that, especially since some of them had already been published, you know. Um, but but there was just um, complete agony and imposter syndrome over the idea that that anything I wrote could be a book. And so this idea of shuffling them around, I spent a lot of time thinking about how stories fit together and how they don't. I don't know that I've come up with good answers, but um, I will say that at the beginning, when I first started submitting it, it was just, but mm-hmm. yeah. here they all are. Right. Love me. Yeah. <laughs> and then that I think got honed over time. Yeah. Um, and then it won a great prize. That's crazy. This, you know, know, it's crazy. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I believe it because I love, I've always loved your work. Um, but it's crazy. It's crazy how the journey happens. You know, that this is a collection of stories that a lot of people saw and probably some, some contests that are a lot less renowned than the one that it actually ended up winning passed on it. And then, you know, and then it wins and then you're like, Oh great. Well maybe all the, I mean, it's just got to make you, I don't know how it makes you feel, uh, but it's got to make you feel kind of as if, almost fate-like. Yeah, I think that one of the things people don't like that I say is when they talk about, oh, Lee, you know, um, family members, friends. We're like, oh, you've worked so hard. You've been very successful. This is wonderful. I'm glad that success is coming to you. You've worked so hard. And I'm like, yeah, I worked hard, but a lot of people work hard Mm -hmm. um, and are amazing writers, just phenomenal. Um, There's there's an aspect of luck to it, um that I don't think we can sneer at. Um, I, I am eternally grateful that it got under the right person's nose at the right time. And honestly, um, I had submitted to black Lawrence before Mm -hmm. and they, and it didn't, right. You know? Yeah. And so, um, 
there's so much about, I don't, I don't know that any book on any day is the same read for any of us. Right. Right. So it's that it's there under the right eyes on the right day mm -hmm. and that it resonates with them. Um, I'm, I feel blessed and I mean, just lucky and, and my friends keeping me going and my uh, mentors keeping me going, Yeah, as you know, yeah. um, I just didn't want to do it anymore for yeah. a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's hard. It's hard. But, but you know, I mean, we used to, I don't, we used to talk about that a lot is just, you have to keep going even yeah. when it's hard. Right. And so I think that's maybe one of the keys too, is to just Keep yeah. Going. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot easier said than done. You yeah, know? Oh yeah. I mean, like we've, I mean, if uh, just a little background between Lee and I, we probably for a solid year and a half went back and forth on messenger, what a day, every other day. And, um, you know, and, and I'm so glad that Lee was there to listen to me, bitch, you know, and, and you need friends like that. You need people you who do. understand. Um, and when, when this book, when this collection won, I, I felt like I was going to jump out of my skin because when you know somebody is that good, like Lee and they do finally win something like this and then their book comes out and I have a, I am holding it, you know, I, you get so excited. You're just so excited and it's real for you as much as, I mean, it's almost as much as it is for the author and, um, I'm just so glad I get to hold it. I can't believe I get to hold it before you. This is, I mean, I'm going to, I mean, it really is a beautiful book and it just, um, and you talked earlier about, that's a really interesting thing, uh, that every book is different for every single one of us every day of our life. And that's the, that's the truth. I, um, I have had a couple really hard weeks and, um, not in the writing life, just life, life. And mm -hmm. I, I, I was able to schedule out this today to read Lee's full collection and, um, right. I, I, I skipped around. I, I never read short story collections from the beginning to the end. I just, I don't know why. Um, I skipped around, read, read some pieces and then I read the main story moon trees and I had to shoot Lee a message like immediately. Like, and I think I just said, Holy fuck, you know, because <laughs> it, it's, it, it was that it was today that I needed to read that story. Um, and it really blew my mind. Um, so the book is moon trees and other orphans by Lee Camacho Rourke's, uh, by black, uh, put out by black Lawrence press. It'll be on uh, October 31st. 31st right on Halloween and the, the 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 main story moon trees um just kind of took my breath away today and if I can talk a little bit about it it's about a brother and a sister and a mom with schizophrenia and the and the way in which they deal with their mom throughout their lives um and the moon trees come into uh, as a metaphor of you know this kind of fate like kind of birth or um lee can talk to talk more about it but the ending and i'm not going to tell you the ending but the last lines you're like i i had to sit back and write lee the message holy fuck because it was that good um with this collection how did how you know i mean and this is new to me um but how does how does story a story like moon trees get the front billing why why that one um was that their choice your choice within the submission process and is it your favorite? I mean, that's a, I mean, legitimate question. Yeah. So, um, it was my choice. 
Um, the first piece of advice anyone gave me, and I heard it over and over again, was put your strongest story at the front and your strongest story at the back and and then a really strong story in the middle. And mm-hmm. uh, that confused me because I don't know if other writers are different than me, but I love them all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I struggle to say this one is stronger than this one. They're very different. And then I was like, well, how do I know what's strong and what's not? The first story originally at the front was a different story, um, which was Everything Shining. Mm-hmm. It was originally the first story. Mm-hmm. And that was the name of the collection. And that got changed. And that I took that story out. I put it back in. Blah, blah, blah. Moon Trees was always a contender, partially because if I didn't know what the best story was, um, Prairie Schooner really seemed to like it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so in my head, I was like, that must mean something. But it was it was actually never at the front till sort of towards the end of the process. Um, ultimately, it went at the front because I asked myself, what is the main core idea in this book? And I to me, mm-hmm. forget what anyone else is going to get from mm-hmm. it. And for me, it's about sounds so sappy. It's kind of a book about love. People get murdered. People do terrible things. Um, but at my heart, it's a book about love. And I think Moon Trees is is the is the story most about love and loneliness. Mm-hmm. And, and and that loneliness is a huge part, I think, of love that we don't talk about. And that's where and other orphans came from. Right. Is um, it's not so much that the stories themselves are orphans, but in my heart of hearts, these characters who I love so dearly. And all of the stories are sort of societal orphans. So, mm. and I felt like Moon Trees led that pack, that idea of a society of orphans, um, better than any other story. No, oh, yeah, that's great. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like with with a lot of the stories within the book, and then where they play with love in the sense that they've a lot of them been abandoned, and then yeah. Moon Trees being the lead story, and the other stories being orphans. That's uh, that never crossed my mind, but I'm I'm glad that no, it's I mean, wonderful. I don't yeah, that will ever hit any reader. It's right. Not, it's not that I want that to hit a reader. Sure. I had to find something. Yeah. No. Yeah. I get you it. Know? Yeah. I had to find an organizing principle. No. Yeah. I love it. And if you, um, pre, it's on pre-order. You can pre-order it now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, that's is it just at Black Lawrence Press or is it? Can you find it? Uh, you can find it uh, all over. All over. Uh, yeah. Amazon. Pre-order. Yep. The, yep, the big, yep. the the big the Amazon. Big, big room, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, it's small press, just small press distributors. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Um, um, has it, so it's everywhere. Good. Um, so with this, with this collection, um, and I know you've written novels. You know, I mean, um, mul- multiple novels. With this collection, are there any of these stories do you think that might turn into one? Eventually, is there one that you're like, ah, I still, it's still, still eating at me. I still love two these of characters. Two stories turned into a novel. Okay. Two of them turned into a novel that that is in a drawer, as right. you, as we say, right, in the biz. Um, two of them are, are a novel that I would love to one say day see the, the light of day because mm-hmm. I kind of love the novel, but um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which ones are they? Do you want you know to tell me? Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's uh, everything shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, Teeny, my boy Teeny, um, is a main is, and the the novel actually sort of opens with that, and uh, the revival. Mm-hmm. 
um, with my bad girl. Okay. And uh, yeah, those two. Because I felt like those two characters needed to meet. Uh, yeah. No, I can see that. That's cool. That's in my head, it, like it ate at me. Um, it was like, who, who, who would be good for Teeny? Who would shake up Teeny's world sure. in really disturbing, yeah, and wonderful if we, ways? If they found each other, found a way into each other's lives, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I have, I think, my last question, and um, this is just from a writer's perspective, um, someone who doesn't know. When it comes to sh- short stories, um, yeah. how do you know when to end? I mean, I, this is something that's a hard, hard thing. I think not only for me personally, who, you know, I write long and then I just write long for a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you know when it feels, or, it, or is it something that you know already? Like with for a short story. Oh, no. oh okay. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, there's one short story in there I knew the ending before I wrote it Mm -hmm. because that was the question, how does this happen? Um, and then changed the ending and then changed it and then changed it back. Uh, how do I know when they're done? Um, my problem is less when they're done and how to go back and fill them out so that when they're done really works. Um, so my dad has said a couple of times, he's like, I don't, I don't really understand the ending. Yeah. Some of my work. Sure. He's a great reader. He he loves to read. My whole family reads my work, my mom and my dad and everybody. Everybody's really wonderful. Um, I think short stories have that that thing about them sometimes that the endings can be a little Right. Um abstract. Maybe open, yeah. maybe. Open. open. Although I think my endings are not always as open as some others. Short stories are known for me. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um so how do I know when they're done? Um, I don't know. That's a really good question that I should have a really great answer to, something really educated. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this turn for a character. And when the character has gotten there, there's only so much that can happen after it Right. that, for me, still resonates. Yeah. Yeah, this is... I, I don't think this is a problem just with short stories. I mean, I think yeah. this is a larger problem when it comes to essays, memoir, novels, you know, any type of work that you're trying to close up and close up well. Um, And not every, not every ending in the book was the original ending. Yeah. Was that editor or you? Me. Yeah. 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 I moved things around. um, I changed things. One was an editor. Uh, Wonderful. uh, The wonderful editors at Kenyon Review. Um, we're not interested in the story unless I uh, worked on the ending and yeah. then might be interested. And it was great feedback. Um, I worked with it. It was wonderful. I loved the new ending. Um, so yeah, a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good to know. I mean, editors are great. I mean, it's- oh, editors are wonderful. Shout out to all my editor friends and all the editors who've helped me out because that, that editorial eye oh. where you, where you can see something that's, it's, I think, a forest for the trees thing, mm-hmm. right? Except they're, yeah, they're, they've got forest eyes and I've got tree eyes. Oh, totally. You know, I've got, we've got sentence eyes where they've got yeah. whole story eyes. And yeah. Um, yeah, it's, and it's hard to hand it off and it's hard, you know, I mean, but it's worth it. It's always, it's always worth it. 
Um, listen to your editors. Listen to your editors. Yeah, absolutely. They know more than you do. Yeah, and we, we maybe we should use this for our AWP podcast. You know, I mean that's the truth yes. for especially for young or listen uh, for people who are writing. It's great advice to say listen to your editors. You know, I mean they know what they're doing. That second eye is just wonderful. Yeah, friend who isn't really a writer. When I said I had to change an ending, was like, oh, doesn't that upset your artistic integrity mm -hmm. and it was like no, no 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 yeah that guy is way smarter than i am yeah, yeah i always see it as like as long as they don't change the core of the story and what i'm trying to say yeah the and there have been times there have yeah. been small edits where i was like Ugh. yeah but for the most part yeah. most of them i would say 99.9 percent .9 of the time yeah they're got good. it yeah and plot rarely matters you know what I mean? Yeah. When it comes to theme and tone and what you're what you're trying to say, plot plot rarely matters. You know, ending. I mean, it matters, but not as much as everything else in the story. So I said that was my last question, but I have one more question. So a lot of these stories are very place based. Place has a lot of. I mean, place is character. Even with the story you started off with tonight, with the swamp, place is another character within your work. Um, can you talk, speak to that um, in the sense of, well, any sense you want to talk, any sense you want to ignore my question in any sense, but a lot of times, are there times when maybe the swamp is where the story starts and you don't know where it's going to go because place is that important? Well, I wish I could remember which critic said it, but um, in defining place, one critic, I, I hate that I can't remember this, said um, places and people interanimate each other. Right. We, if you dig a hole, you've changed the place. Sure. Um, but the place changes you. Like I have scars from growing up on the beach and having a shell cut my foot. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's an imprint. It's a, it's a site. I don't think it's a circle. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, I don't know that place comes first, but it doesn't come second. It's, um, it's a simultaneous sound usually comes first for me. Mm-hmm. But when I was younger, I didn't understand setting. I was like, that's not important. I'm not interested in it. Right. But the more I came to leave the word setting behind and embrace the word place, mm -hmm. the more I understood that I'm no more and my character no more um, than fully influenced. Right. For good or ill. Yeah. By their, by their place. Yeah. And uh, to, to ignore that is to be a disservice. Right. Um, and then, and then other times a place is fully formed. They, they just, they don't almost exist without the other. There's a definition for place, which is a space to which meaning has been ascribed, mm -hmm. um, which means it's not a place until we or animals or, or something gives it meaning, right? Sure. Um, that's what makes a place. And so I kind of feel like you can't have one without the other Yeah. in my mind. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's why I, that's why many readers struggle with uh, very thin genre fiction, you know, where everything's happening, but nobody knows where it is, you know. You know, or those chapters that are just the visual, right? Just the Oh, yeah. The oh, absolutely. And there's because and it's not a place. It's just a setting because mm -hmm. we don't really understand the meaning there, the ascription, the the interplay between the world and the character. Yeah. Absolutely, where you're just sitting, where, where where the reader is just planted in a forest. Yeah, yeah, and, right. Which is beautiful, and I love that. Right, right? 
it can be really difficult. It can be difficult and it can be, that's when you put a book down. A lot of times yeah. when you're, as a reader, yeah. you're like, uh, I have, you know, I have too. Oh, I absolutely have. And, um, and I know myself as a, as a writer, I can sit in a place and just describe stuff forever and I have to cut, you know, to cut. My problem is I don't put it in. I have to go, well now less, but over the years I've gotten better at it, but I actually have to go in and like put the place in my heart and my head mm-hmm. in I'm an adder, not a cutter. Uh-huh. Um, so you'll get drafts out that are thin and you have to add. A lot I have to add, yeah. I have to add, add. Yeah. I mean, I still have to cut. Everyone has to cut. But, right. You know. Right. But the, but the fleshing out of it comes after the initial draft. Typically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the opposite. I'm the ex. I'm like, Oh God, that was awful. Cut. I feel like everyone I know is the opposite. And yeah. I just, I feel like a weird little. No, you you are a wonderful, alien. wonderful little writer. See how I changed <laughs> that up? I say uh, that. Yeah. Um, this is Case Johnson. Uh, today we're talking to Lee Kamarcha Rourke's. We are talking about her new collection. It's not new, but it's newly published, Moon Trees and Other Orphans uh, by Black Lawrence Press. You can buy it October 31st. It is on pre-sale right now. I suggest that you do. Lee and I will be actually, uh, no joking no, no joking around, we will be on a really uh, fun AWP panel um, in San Antonio this coming uh, spring where we will talk about how to use podcasts and other multimedia to uh, within our classrooms of, of teaching creative writing. Um, yep. It should be a really fun hour. Uh, Brandon, do you have any questions? Brandon always usually has one at the end. I know, and I don't. I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was enjoying. Listen, I just want to say thanks um, in case we're being patient because this is uh, under construction zone right here, uh, and we're in the Banyan trailer. First podcast ever inside the Banyan Collective new studios. So thank you so much, and I'm very excited to um, to see what we can do here. Yeah, this is great. Uh, we're in the Monarch in downtown Ogden on 25th Street. Um, so Lee, um, is there anything else you want to tell us about that that we didn't touch on um, with the book or with your writing or with the process or with anything that you want readers to know before we sign off? Um, I want them... I want them to know that no matter how dark things get in the book, it is a book about love. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I think, I think, I don't know if you heard this talk. I think it was Jack Driscoll who said, you've got to love your characters. Mm -hmm. You got to love them. You can do anything you want to them. Let them mess up. Let them screw up. Let them make mistakes. Um, if you really love them, you've got to let them do that. He said, but even the one, even the bad guys, you got to love them. And, uh, I think that I, I sort of, it was like, Oh, it just, a light went on in my head about, about what to do better mm-hmm. in my writing. Um, it's that, that core empathy that can only come sort of with love. And I'm not saying that I always, I'm always successful. Um, but I, but I do, I think these characters uh, mess up, fuck up, screw up, get fucked over, partially because either they're missing some love that they really need or because they're loving way too hard. Yeah. Um, So if you, I think it's really easy to forget that that's the core of, I think, humanity, Mm -hmm. especially right now. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying you got to love your neighbor who's doing horrible things. Right. I'm not that good a person. Uh, but writers out there love your characters. Right. That's my best. Yeah. 
and this and if uh, like I said, uh, go out and buy buy the book. It's a uh, it's a collection of stories that uh, Lee has given us more insight into today. Um, it came at a perfect time in my week. I I, I I just I needed good I needed good writing. I needed good stories. Uh, I was disconnected from the writing life, um, from everything for the last few weeks. And reading Lee's collection today, which actually went really fast. I think I read it the whole thing in about two and two two and a half hours. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. And um and like Lee said at the beginning of if I can quote you right in front of you. Um, every book is different to every person every day. And I think that's a really, a really cool to look at way to look at the way you see your own writing. Um, if you read something one day and it looks like crap the next day, it feels good. It might be the same way with the editor might publish your book. And I think that, um, that advice is some of the best advice we've had on literally in a very, very long time that every, every book is every, is different to everybody every single day. And so, um, Signing off. This is Case Johnston. This is the uh, literally podcast. Um, whoa, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we we got yeah. to talk to some construction up here. Uh, yeah. yeah, and just say thank thanks, Lee, for joining us, and I can't wait to see you in the spring. I mean, yes, thank and you so much for if, having. And if we don't talk before that, you're in trouble. So yeah, okay. Yeah, and I uh, thank you for loving the story. I love love it. Thank yes, you. absolutely. <laughs>